We're going to begin this evening in John chapter 8. Our passage is going to be 31 through 38. John 8, 31 through 38. John wrote, saying, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and we were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. The Jewish leaders of Jesus' day... They were self-righteous, they were unloving, they were uncaring, and they were hypocritical. We see it just in the simple statement that we read uh, just now. And when Jesus spoke the truths of heaven, they became very nervous. And the longer he spoke, the more upset they became. They were so upset that they wanted to kill him, and in fact, of course, we know that eventually they did kill him, but... He came from the grave. He spent three days in paradise and he came forth the victor. But they did not want him to speak the truths of heaven. But in reply to that, he did say this, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Matthew 24, 35. But like then, the truth will always unmask the wrongs of this life. And just like then, the participants always get nervous. No one likes to hear the truth who does not like the truth. Now, of course, it is better to be divided by the truth than to be united by a lie. The the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, all of those Jewish leaders in Jesus' day were united by the lies that they had created. But it's better to be divided by the truth, separated from those people who hate the truth, than to be united in a lie. It is better to speak the truth that hurts and then heals than falsehood which comforts and then kills. It is not love and it is not friendship if we fail to declare the whole counsel of God. It is better to be hated for telling the truth than to be loved for speaking a lie. It is also impossible to find anyone in the Bible who was a power for God who did not have enemies when they stood up and spoke the truth and who was not hated when they did that. It's better to stand alone with the truth than to stand in the wrong with the multitude. Jesus understood that. And he was not afraid to stand alone. And we see him often standing alone. We see him often standing alone. In fact, in the very end, he stood alone, didn't he? 
His disciples left Him, and they left Him alone. It is ultimately better to fail in the beginning and then succeed in the end with the truth than to succeed temporarily and then ultimately to fail with a lie. But here's the problem. Most people, and we see it in the world today, do not want to hear the truth about themselves or the responsibilities in this life of which God has given to all of us. Because of that, periodically in humanity's history, the idea of truth being relative has been and is being embraced. And we certainly are hearing about truth being relative in today's culture. In fact, I was just recently introduced to the phrase, live your truth. I'd never even heard that. And some little girl told me that the other night, said, live your truth. I said, what does that mean, live your truth? I had no idea. How I missed it, I don't know. Evidently, that's been going on for a while, right? Live your truth. But look around our culture, right? Everybody has their own truth, don't they? I'm not even talking in necessarily the religious realm. I'm talking in life in general. Live your own truth. If you think it's okay then it's okay. Our, our nation has gone crazy with the things that is being embraced in this country alone, let alone the other places. Now, we're just a step or two behind Europe, but we're not too far behind Europe in some of the other crazy places in the world. But we're, get, we're catching up and we're close. But what those phrases mean is what is truth to me may not be truth to you. And that's okay. Do you know now that in many places in our nation, in higher uh, education, I, I really, I hate to even use that term education, that now uh, it has been determined by those who know, and again, I, I guess we ought to put that quotation, that if we say 2 plus 2, and used to be able to say that that's absolute, we know 2 plus 2 is 4, that now that is a part of systemic racism. Two plus two is four. That's part of uh, the idea of systemic race, racism. It's ridiculous. But that's someone's truth, right? We're pushing this idea of white supremacy if you say two plus two is, four, uh, is, is uh, four. You can't teach that in school anymore. I mean, really? I mean, how, how much further into ridiculousness can this culture go? But the whole purpose of that statement, live your truth, truth is relative, is to cause people to question truth and to get that little word out of the way so now we do not have a problem. We can just do what we want to do. And when we push truth out of the way, guess who we're really pushing out of the way? We're getting rid of God. And now we don't have to worry about anything, right? Is truth real? That's the title of the sermon. Is truth real? Well, the answer that most people want, want to uh, give to that is no, truth is not real. Well, truth is real. But a long time ago, Paul warned this, 2 Timothy 4, beginning with verse 3. He said, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. However... 
There is one thing upon which we will always be able to rely. Truth is real. And truth is real for a number of reasons. We're going to talk about a couple of those for just a few moments. Truth is real because whether or not, no matter what anyone wants to say who is in academia, truth is real because it is absolute. That's our first point. It is absolute and we can determine that. But what is truth? Well, the first thing we want to notice tonight when we're looking at truth being absolute is God's counsel is truth. We can rely upon that. In His prayer on behalf of His disciples, Jesus asked the Father to sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth, John 17, 17. God's word is truth. We can determine that when we, when we say 2 plus 2 is 4, guess where that came from? That came from God. God created the sciences. He created uh, geography. He created science. He created all those things that have reason and logic and all those other things like that. He did not create uh, ridiculousness in this world. He did not create confusion in this world, right? James declared this, of his own will beget he us with the word of truth, James 1.18. Well, what does that mean? He beget us. He's talking to Christians. He beget the world, those who are Christians, through his word of truth. That's the plan of salvation. His gospel. We became Christians through his gospel, through his word. We can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. During the patriarchal period of time, he beget followers of God through his word of truth. We move over into the law of Moses. He beget followers of God through his word of truth. If you wanted to be a faithful Jew, you did it through his word of truth. You get into the Christian dispensation. You want to be a Christian, you do it through his word of truth. It is the counsel of God that gives us life. And that is absolute. We can prove that through outside sources. We, we do not have to prove it through the Bible. We can prove God exists through outside sources. We've talked about apologetics. We've talked about Christian evidences. There are things in the Bible, statements of fact, scientific evidences that the writers of the Bible talk about that they could not have known at that time unless they were inspired by God. Psalm 8.8 talks about the pathways or the the uh, streams in the Bible, or the seas rather. Well, we didn't even find that out until centuries and thousands of years later. How would David have known that? He wouldn't have known that. And that's just one example. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life, John six sixty three. Now, we may not like to hear the words of life, but that does not make them untrue. Another question every person should ask is, how can I know what the truth is? And that's a very valid question. We ought to be asking that. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. Well, if we're going to understand what the truth is, we must first, have to, we must first discover how to access the truth, right? Well, we access it through Jesus Every person who sits in a pew somewhere on Sunday, every person who sits down with another individual and has a biblical discussion, or whatever the case may be, if we're talking about a topic 
that involves the Bible in some way, that person who is trying to learn something needs to ask that other person who's trying to teach something, prove that to me. How do I know you're right? That's the first question. That's how we discover if it is the truth. Now, we ended up in the Bible, or at least we should have ended up in the Bible because that person started off with authority. And we can go to, to Matthew uh, 18, and we can start with authority there. Or, excuse me, Matthew 20, 18 through 20. All authority is given to men, heaven and earth. Right? That's Jesus talking. And there are other places we can talk about. Now, if we're studying with someone who's a rank atheist, we're going to have to go somewhere else, right? We'll start somewhere else, and then we'll end up in the Bible. But, if we've ended up in the Bible, we've had to begin with authority. But once we've ended up in the Bible, now we need book, chapter, and verse. That's true. That's what makes a Bible fact. That's how we know what the truth is, right? We have to be able to do that. That's why Paul said, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, 2 Timothy 3, 16. That's why Peter declared, God has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, 2 Peter 1, 3. And we can rejoice in knowing God's Word is truth and He's made it available. Truth is real. It is absolute. It is the counsel of God. And here's something else. We can be confident in it. That's what makes it absolute. We can be confident in it. Before returning to heaven, Jesus said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark 16, 15. He previously said, They shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. That means that the gospel is a taught message. We don't learn it through osmosis. We don't learn it because we feel a certain way. We learn it because it is a taught message. And Jesus taught that message to the apostles. They delivered that same message to the world. Yet, here's what the world tells us. We can't all understand it the same. Look, that's not true. That is simply not true, is it? If Jesus taught it, the apostles were able to understand it. Everybody in the first century was able to understand it before there was ever a denomination in the world. What happened down the line? Was, did the world all of a sudden something happen and now we can't understand anything? That's not true. That is in fact impossible. Paul didn't believe that error. He didn't teach that error. In fact, he told those in Ephesus, Ephesians 3 verse 4, he said, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. That has to be true. That has to be true, doesn't it? Because the Holy Spirit led Paul to say it. And here's another reason why it has to be true. God is not the author of confusion, 1 Corinthians 14.33. Now we may have to ask this question. Is there any confusion in the religious world? You ask anybody, you ask someone who's not religious. And they will say, yeah, there, there's a ton of confusion in the religious world. Well, where did the confusion come from? Can't come from God because 
The Holy Spirit said He is not the author of confusion. It has to come from people. People have caused the confusion. It didn't come from the Word. Because Paul said, you can understand my knowledge in the mystery, which now makes it no longer a mystery because he delivered the knowledge, right? At one time it was a mystery, and that's what Paul's saying. Before it was delivered, it was a mystery. That's when it was, the message was uh, prophesying the New Testament, when the prophets of old didn't really even understand completely what they were prophesying. The angels of heaven looked into it and they wondered what it was all about. They didn't even know the angels. But the, but the mystery was delivered and Paul had all the answers then as well as the other apostles and they delivered it. And those in Ephesus knew what it was. Not just the ones in Ephesus, all those other congregations, right? So, for a certainty, we can all understand God's message the same and we can all know whether we're right. The truth is real. Without doubt it's real because it is absolute. But it is not beneficial unless the listener acknowledges it as the source of salvation. That's our second point. We have to acknowledge that it is the source. Whether it's absolute or not makes no difference. It makes no difference unless we acknowledge it for what it is, right? God has given us the truth and it does not vary according to cultural whim. Now, our culture right now, if in my opinion, the way it's headed is not worth a dime. I don't appreciate what's going on in our culture. It has changed so much and it needs to change back. So our culture right now says truth is relative. What you believe is fine. If you want to kill your baby, that's fine. If you want to uh, have a same-sex marriage, that's fine. If you, you know, uh, whatever you want to do, it's fine. You live your truth, right? That's fine. Well, that's not fine. That's not fine. Truth is absolute, but unless you acknowledge it, it doesn't matter. In the field of mathematics, again, 2 plus 2 equals 4. All of the relativism of the modern world and of modern theologians does not make that sum three or five. It should always be a red flag for us if someone devises a better plan of salvation that somehow escaped the Lord, the apostles, faithful brethren, in 2,000 years. We ought to look at that and say, hey, something's up. Because that's not possible. That didn't just slip through the cracks, okay? Jesus warned us about people who do that. He said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves, Matthew seven fifteen. Unless truth is absolute, that warning is meaningless. Therefore, we must acknowledge it. Jesus didn't waste his warnings. He didn't waste his time. He didn't waste his effort. God doesn't do that. So it would not be possible to identify false teaching unless there was a true teaching. There are, is no counterfeit unless there is a real thing. That's why, it may, that's why it is possible to have a counterfeit. Okay? And so 
It is popular in the realm of religion to declare there is no black and white. There are just varying shades of gray depending on where you're standing. There are no varying shades of gray when it comes to God and His doctrine. He sets the doctrine. And we abide by the doctrine. That ought to be easy. He states what He wants and we just follow His commandments. If we deny self and we follow His commandments... Everything ought to be easy. The problem is when humanity inserts itself into his doctrine to want to change what God has stated, that's when the problems happen. Now, there are matters of opinion throughout the Bible. And then that's up to the, to the individual congregations to do as they please. But that's not concerning doctrine, right? Uh, do you want a building? Or do you want to rent a place? Right? There are congregations that... That'll rent a room somewhere. They may rent a room in a hotel. I know of a, or there used to be this place uh, down around Disney World. And they would uh, uh, allow a preacher to come in. They'd rent them a room or give them a room in a, in a, at this hotel uh, to stay for free. And they would preach on Sunday. And they would hold a Bible class. And then they, that would kind of be their vacation. They'd let them stay down there. And they could go to Disney World but that's how they got their preaching done. They'd pay for that room, and that's where they met at that uh, at that hotel. They'd go to Disney World, do whatever they wanted to do. But they had a had a room in Florida. I thought about doing that a time or two. I never have. Not not that interested in Disney World, but but the idea is they had a room at a hotel somewhere. That's fine. That's up to them. You don't have to have a building. Some places rent a rent a place in a strip mall. Some places meet in homes even today. Because they're in uh, remote areas, there's not very many people. That's a matter of opinion. Time. When do we meet? That's a matter of opinion. What color is the carpet? That's a matter of opinion. Right? The doctrine is a whole other thing. The plan of salvation. The way we worship. Things like that. That's God's business. And all we can do is follow His Rules. God's truth does not vary, and it is that which offers victory. We have to be careful, right? When Jesus sent the apostles to preach the gospel to every creature, here's what he promised. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned, Mark 16, 16. Here's what Paul promised. He promised the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believeth, Romans 1.16, believes what? The truth of God. The truth of God. The one gospel message. That's what they promised. And if I do not acknowledge the truth of God as it is revealed in the Bible, I cannot have victory. And that is not a matter of personal preference. Now, in describing the rejection of God's plan, Paul wrote this, 2 Thessalonians 2, beginning with verse 10. He said, Because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned, who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, that does not have to be the case. And when we look at that, we have to look at the whole context and we have to understand that God didn't cause them to believe a lie. It's because of their disobedience to God that they believed a lie. 
Okay? We have to look at the whole context. But the idea is He gave them the truth and they chose not to believe the truth. Therefore, they believed a lie and they were damned. The end result is if we do not believe God's truth, that we will be damned. We have to acknowledge that source of information. But just simply acknowledging that it is from God is still not enough. God's truth is absolute. We do have to acknowledge it, but there is something else. If we just have a mental assent that that came from God, that's a step in the right direction. But we have to accept it. That's our last point. We have to accept it. How do we accept the truth? Well, we already mentioned it can't just be a mental assent. We can't just say, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus. I think what he, I think he was a real person. I think that He died on the cross. I think that, that He came out of the ground. I think that He is in heaven right now ruling over a kingdom. And then I just do nothing beyond that. That's not how I accept the truth, right? If that's how one becomes a Christian, that's not how the Apostle Peter understood that. He wasn't aware of that. Notice what he said. He said, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. 1 Peter 1.22 He didn't say we are saved by simply believing the truth. I think a lot of people believe the truth. But most people do not obey the truth. James said the demons believed and trembled. Well, what about the demons? The demons were going to be in hell eternally. They believe, right? But faith without obedience is dead, James 2.26. We have to have some obedience. We have to have some works, right? Sister Jane made a point this morning in class that we're saved by grace through obedience, right? We have to have obedience. God has always required faith and obedience. In fact, you can't separate the two. When we say faith and obedience, really, we just have to say faith. You cannot separate the two. Throughout time, God has always saved man by grace through faith. And faith is demonstrated through obedience. The writer of Hebrews listed many of the Old Testament faithful in chapter 11. By faith, they did this. By faith, they did that. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. And they were to do certain things... And they did do certain things. One person dedicates, or once a person dedicates himself to obey God, then, through obedience, then he must offer himself as a living sacrifice. That's what Paul talked about in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. That living sacrifice. As Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, notice some things that he mentioned. First of all, he mentioned uh, and described faithful living. He went on and warned the hypocrite of the dangers of not obeying God. And then he asked, Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say, Luke six forty six. You have to add all that together, right? To learn and know the truth means we live according to the truth. Paul told the Romans, Romans 6, beginning with verse 17, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, 
But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. You see, there's, there is action in all of that. You were the servants of sin. You changed that to be in a place where you can say you were the servants of sin. You changed and you became something else. Now you are the servants of righteousness, meaning you are being something active in the way of righteousness. So obedience is a verb where now you are actively doing something which is obedient. Of course, initial salvation is obedience. Faith, repentance, confession, immersion in water. But that is a continuing living in righteousness. John called it walking in light, 1 John 1, right? And so that is living faithfully. Now, what happens when you slip up? You make a mistake. Well, we have to ask God to forgive us first. The Christian who walks in the light recognizes that. He says, okay. Or she says, okay, I made a mistake. I recognize that. Immediately, you stop it. You ask God to forgive you. You never step out of the light doing that. But, on occasion, the Christian does step out of the light. And so that person needs to recognize that and say, okay, I've stepped out of the light. I haven't been living as a Christian. I have to stop that. I want to return to God. So I repent of the sin or the lifestyle, whatever the case may be in which I've been involved. I ask God to forgive me because I've repented. Man, I've stopped doing it. I've asked God to forgive me. Now here's the thing. If that's a private sin, you ask God privately. Or you may go to how many ever people know about it? But what if everybody knows about it? What do I do? Well, I have to make a public confession, right? Everybody needs to understand I have changed. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not living like that. And so you make a public confession, right? And then, once again, you're walking in the light. And then there you are again offering yourself as a living sacrifice. Until one obeys the truth and lives for God, the truth has not made that person free. How does the truth make you free? Living by the truth. The writer of Hebrews warned, Jesus is the author of eternal salvation unto all them who obey Hebrews 5.9. Not all those who simply believe He is the Son of God. There has to be an action in there. Try as some might, no one has yet, nor will they ever find a way to be saved without first and continuing to obey the truth of God. So I think all people need to, need to ask themselves a question. Do I know the truth? Okay, I may know the truth. Now, am I obeying the truth? That's the next question. Until one accepts the truth of Christ, being the Son of God, goes through that plan of salvation that we talked about, accessing the second law of pardon, if that is necessary, that person cannot be saved. Those are the words of God. Those aren't any person's words. Those are the words of God. Those are the truths from heaven that Jesus brought. Now, there are people in the world that don't want to hear that. There are religious leaders in the world, much like the Pharisees, who get angry when uh, when those words are spoken. I remember a couple of years ago, there was a, a denominational preacher called me up here at the office, and, and uh, boy, he, he 
became upset and belligerent on the phone when I repeated those exact words because I, uh, I denied the fact that he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I said, that's not possible. That doesn't happen today. And uh, I, I said, listen, no sense in being upset. Why don't we get together and we'll look and see what the Bible says. And uh, we both want to get to heaven. Why don't we sit down and have a Bible study? And uh, he wasn't interested. He wasn't interested in the truths of heaven. I said, doesn't matter what I believe. doesn't matter what you believe. Let's see what God says about it. It was just a lot like the Pharisees. He wanted to shut down the truths of heaven just like they wanted. And I'm not comparing myself to Jesus. I'm just comparing myself to repeating the truths of heaven. That's not what he was interested in. That's what these people, they were not interested in what Jesus had to say. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation at this day, let that be known as we stand and as we sing. As a fountain free tis for you and me, let us haste, oh haste to its Tis a fountain of love from the source above, and he bids us all free drink. Will you come to the fountain free? Will you come? Tis for you and me, thirsty soul. Here's a welcome call. Tis a fountain open for all. There's a living stream with a crystal gleam from the throne of life. Now it flows. While the Bread of fruit of the vine. 
Let us bow. Kind Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the opportunity to gather around the Lord's table to remember his death until he come again. May those that partake of this loaf do so in a manner pleasing in thy sight. In Jesus' name, amen. We continue our thanks unto thee, Heavenly Father, for this fruit of the vine, which to us as Christians represents the blood that Christ shed on Calvary. But we also partake of it in a manner pleasing in thy sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Would anybody like to make an offering at this time? Okay, let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, we're so thankful that we have the opportunity to work in this society and to make a living for our families. We pray, Father, now that this contribution will come back to thee to be used in this congregation for the works that it does. Forgive us our sins, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, Papa. 